0: In this episode, startups, ExxonMobil wants to talk to you right now. And innovation, where do you find it? Then different hats for different groups. Oil and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to our guests, please, 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 if you want to support the show and our 10 other Oil & Gas Podcasts, just leave a review. If you love what we're doing, I'd love to have a five star. And if, if you have notes for room for improvement, let me know that as well. And then a big shout out to Nutanix. They're the people that keep the light on. We love those guys. If you need help modernizing your data center and running applications at any scale on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to. And I am very lucky today to have Nazir Boro with me today. How are you doing, Nazir?
1: I'm doing fine.
0: Yeah. And what the audience doesn't know is this is the second time you and I have tried to record this, and we had tech challenges the first time. So keep our fingers crossed to the tech gods that everything runs smoothly. So Nazir you do something actually that is just fascinating. You work for a little company called ExxonMobil and you're the global manager for technology scouting and venturing at ExxonMobil. And before we get into what you do, I kind of want a big story like how did you get involved in this crazy industry?
1: So it's a long it's a long story <laughs> but I'll just make it short. You know, my background is I grew up as a kid in rural India for the first 5 years then spent next 15 years through my elementary, middle, high school, undergraduate in a big city called Mumbai in India, and then came over here for graduate studies. After graduate studies, I joined Mobile in research in South Jersey, just outside the city of Philadelphia. And there starts my journey with Mobile and ExxonMobil through many, many different assignments through research, engineering, projects, Business planning, manufacturing, corporate planning, and then various innovation roles across business lines and technology
0: companies. Yeah, what a great journey. And you know, you and I both are getting ready to date ourselves because I remember when the Exxon and the mobile merger happened, and it was like, you got to be kidding me. Those are two totally separate cultures, but y'all pulled it off. And a lot of our younger listeners probably didn't realize that at one point there was an Exxon and a mobile, and now it's Exxon ExxonMobil. But, you know, hats off to whatever team made that integration because y'all pulled off something I didn't think was even possible.
1: Yeah, it was It was a great journey, great journey. It
0: was. Two great companies to come together, too, right? Two, two companies are very proud of what they did, and it was just nice to see them come together. So technology scouting and ventures. So before we get deeper into what you're doing, because this is the tech show, can we kind of talk about why Exxon has an interest in technology scouting and ventures?
1: Yeah. So I want to go back to where I started my journey right outside after graduate school. I joined mobile in South Jersey. And at that time, you know, I'm a chemical engineer by training. Most of my colleagues who graduated with a PhD joined the usual large companies, you know, the big oil majors, the large chemical companies, and fast forward 30 years, and what we have seen is that the landscape for technology has changed slowly year by year, but over 30 years, it's been a dramatic shift, you know, it's a dramatic shift on how technology is developed, it's a dramatic shift on where technology comes from, it's a dramatic shift on the inputs that enable technology, which is talent, funding, and well as well as access to equipment and the ecosystem.
0: It is funny to watch the evolution because I've I've always lived at that intersection of technology and oil and gas for my entire professional career for 25 years. And in the beginning, 25 years ago, the industry, the oil and gas industry only did business with big companies because there was a risk doing business with a small company, right? And now that's been turned on its head because most of the innovation, the really, you know, coming up with something that's really unique and valuable and useful tends now to come from smaller companies. So to your point, it literally has been flipped upside down, the model.
1: Yes. So the two major shifts is it's not just coming from big companies. So the big companies are still in the game, but it's not dominated by them in the technology space. And the second is, it's not just coming from US and Europe or Western Europe. So there is a geographical diversification as well as a diversification of actors or participants in this space.
0: But isn't it really cool that now we have a whole bunch of bright, smart, young people coming and looking at our industry and going, why are you doing that Microsoft Excel? Nothing against Microsoft, Microsoft, I love you to death you know or or why are we still handling pipe with people you know and so they come with these open minds, and I've seen in the last probably say six years more really good solutions to problems come from these startups in the oil and gas industry than I saw the previous twenty two years right and i just, I just think it's wonderful this whole ecosystem has been built where startups and entrepreneurs can come in and actually find a place for themselves, and if they solve a business problem and it makes business sense, they can get what they need to grow, whether that's capital or engineering expertise or scale the ability to scale and I, I just think it's a wonderful, beautiful thing and a lot of people from outside of oil and gas and they look at our industry, they don't think we have that that innovation segment we have it and it's thriving and it's, it's a wonderful thing
1: yes, and then you just have to it's an it's not just in oil and gas this transformation is going on in almost every industry. I mean, if you look at today, it's coronavirus is a a biggest challenge in society. It's a trillion dollar problem to solve. And if you just look at the pipeline of coronavirus vaccines, you know, and if you look at it, there are like 25 to 30 companies which are now in phase one, phase two, phase three. And you look at where they're coming from, how many of them are large companies versus small companies, you can also see the alliances where the invention may be made in a small company, but the large company comes in and scales it up fast. Yep. So it's, it's, it's not just an either-or balance. It's also an and. How do you take something from inside and something from outside and combine them to bring a solution that society and shareholders and our customers can benefit from?
0: Yeah. It's interesting for you to position the COVID-19 pandemic as an opportunity because it is. I've just never thought about it that way before, but it is a problem that needs to be solved. And if you solve it, then you, you reap the economic benefits of that. It's, it's really a unique way to put that. I kind of want to circle back, though, to... Our industry as a whole, so not ExxonMobil, but our industry as a whole, you know we tend to run a little bit behind other industries, you know if you think of big box retail, you think of you know tech or i mean even things like other types of manufacturing you know automobile manufacturing you know stuff like that, and we run a little bit behind because we 're a very risk adverse industry but one of the things i 've seen happen now is i 'm seeing leaders in in the oil and gas industry realize that they have to do things different. And this COVID-19 pandemic combined with this double black swan event is, I think, is accelerating that, is accelerating the fact that companies are realizing they need to have different tools and processes than what they relied on for the past 50 years. Do you see it happening as well?
1: Absolutely. I think, I think what COVID has done, I mean, there are implications directly of COVID on the health of the workforce and our customers, but COVID is also forcing us to work differently, you know? Anytime people are used to doing a work the way historically it's done, to move it to a new way to work requires a step-up jump in benefits from it. Because, you know, you're used to something doing old way, but now everyone has to work from remote. You know, you can do inspection technical services from remote on the type of work processes that you had not imagined were feasible six months ago. So COVID has really accelerated the digitalization journey.
0: Yeah. And, and so one of the things I thought you think's really cool about your company is y'all, y'all have a pretty long history of looking outside of our industry and looking at parts and pieces and process and tools that other industries use, and then figuring out how you can incorporate into your business. Is that one of the reasons that you, you, Exxon actually has a technology scouting ventures program?
1: Yes. Our experience has been that most technologies coming into our industry are not new to the world, they're just new to our industry. That doesn't make it easy. You still have to work on adoption and adaption, but they are not new to the world. And what we find is many times technology follows one of these two pathways. One is that it comes in the highest value segment, proves their and then the cost comes down and the scale increases and then it goes to the next segment and the third segment and fourth segment and because we are in a commodities many times this could be not in the first segment but second or third segment so let's take an example of you know typically i'll, th- I'll give you an example that we have done in something called open process automation you know it's a initiative we started five six years ago and we saw that in process control area There was technology in and business models that were practiced in avionics and telecommunications which have not come into our industry. And you say, what are the root causes of it? And why is it not coming into our industry? And that's how we kind of unpeeled that onion and tried to get the technology in. There are similar things in space industry, defense industry, healthcare industry, And a lot of times you can look at those industries for parallel things that they are doing, which as the price point comes down and the scale increases can come into our own industry, which is oil and gas.
0: Yeah, it, it is interesting to me to watch the airline industry have predictive maintenance for at least the last 20 years, if not longer. And yet we're still doing planned maintenance in a lot of places. Like that's a jump that we need to make that I think will just drive not only increased uptime, but it has to in- increase safety metrics as well when you're when you're only doing the maintenance when it needs to be done, but before the, the part fails. And it's I do know that ExxonMobil has been looking really hard, especially in their subsea world at, at predictive maintenance. And I just think it's cool. It's just, you know, once again, and to your point, even though it's not new to our industry, and, I mean, even though it's not new to the world, it is new to our industry. And it has to make business sense for companies to adopt it.
1: Yes. Yes. And situations like COVID accelerate that adoption because you're forced to make a change. You can't work the way you've worked before. And that itself is like a it's like a lubricant or a grease in the adoption cycle. No pun intended.
0: <laughs> that was actually kind of good. That was really witty. <laughs> So in the scouting adventures work that you do right now you know is there a standard process like are are you looking at anything and everything or does the business internally say hey we need a solution to this problem and then you go out and try to find a solution to that problem
1: We don't look at everything it would just be not useful and non productive So you know our business is very straightforward you know we try to find oil and gas in the world find ways to produce it and then convert it into either fuels or materials. And at the first liquid point, you know, if there are others who can take it and convert it into a business, that's even better because you know, we know where our competitive advantage is. And we are into the liquids value chain and we are into the gas value chain, a little bit into the solids value chain too. So that's our business model. And what we do is we look at what are the things that are shaping our industry? And there are really six forces. You've got new resources coming in, which are more competitive or less competitive, depending on the landscape and technology. You've got end-use markets changing as populations go into middle class and then become more affluent. Those are the, the two mains. And then inside our industry, digitalization is changing what we do, how we do, where we do it, together with the talent evolution around the world. And then on the market side, it is greenhouse gas and sustainability issues such as circular economy. So this six forces changes our business, but we actually stay pretty close to our business model. There's been some amount of work done, which you know in external literature, which shows that the adoption by an existing company, too far from its current business model, becomes less and less effective. So as a general rule of thumb, we stay within one business model, one's adjacency from our existing business model. The only place where we go away from our business model is if there is a stranded, large greenhouse gas mitigation option in the world.
0: So something that would move the needle very far, very fast.
1: Yes. In greenhouse gas mitigation, even if it is far away from our business model.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting to watch all the physical carbon capture technology that's being worked on right now. And it works. The problem is making it scalable. But I think we're going to get there. And I think if we get there, I think your company's going to be <laughs> leading the charge there. Hopefully, I'm not saying anything I'm not supposed to say. It's just my, my private opinion. So, I want to go back. You talked about your core business, which I think is one of the things that Exxon does extremely well is you stick to your core business. You're good at it. You make fractional improvements, but those fractional improvements over 10, 20, 30 years make a big difference. How much is technology driving those fractional improvements in your core business?
1: A lot of technology drives fractional improvements, but I want to go back to the technology scouting and ventures group and say that our charter is to bring outside in technologies, practices, and business models for ExxonMobil's current and emerging businesses. That's our charter. And you will be, you should note that it is not just technologies, but it's also practices and business model. So the, the improvements can come from technologies as well as practices, as well as business models. And that's, what I wanted to make sure that the audience appreciates it.
0: So actually, let's go a little bit deeper in that. So let's actually talk about business models. That's something a lot of people don't talk about. And and one of the things I've seen a lot happen, and this is probably the vendors out there probably play a role in this, but I've seen really large companies adapt technology almost – just because of the technology, like it's not, it wasn't, there's not a, a specific problem they're trying to fix. And so it, it then fails, but it, that may be a, you know, multimillion dollar five-year project that failed because there was no specific problem earmarked for that to fix. And I like the idea that you bring up business models. Can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So it's very clear that what startups are, you know, most people think about startups as a technology provider. But what startups are, you know, in the definition of one of the management gurus, that it's a temporary organization that's in a search for a scalable and repeatable business model. It may have technology underneath it, but they may just attack the problem in a very different way. And if you look at the whole unconventionals industry, it was a giant experiment in business models with two established technologies by four players in the suburb of Fort Worth, Texas.
0: Many would say it's still a business model being explored. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly, exactly. But you can see that it is how you integrate the various pieces of a business to add value and differentiation. You know, your key resources, your key partnerships, your key assets. So, and this is particularly important for emerging value chains, not just for existing value change. Because in the emerging value chain, there is no set business model. There is no set business model on how CCS may evolve. There is no set business model on how biofuels may evolve. There is no set business models on how hydrogen may evolve.
0: Yeah, it it is interesting. It's sort of like us with the podcast. When we started all this, there was no business models for podcasts. Like, how do you monetize this? How do you provide the best value? How do you grow an audience? So we kind of had to learn as, as we went but while you're out there looking for, for these, the and I love the way you position that, that startups are just a temporary spot in time for that business model. But when you're out there looking for these startups that will solve a problem internally, how important is it for the startup to be viable? So I've seen a bunch of startups that have really smart people with really great ideas, and yet they have no customers, right? And, and to me, that doesn't seem like it's a viable business yet.
1: That's correct. So I think before, even before the customers, you have to ask, what is the pain that they're trying to get solved? What is their value proposition? What is the pain point they're trying to solve? And what are the next other alternatives that are going after the pain point? Is it a rifle shot or is it a broad strategic initiative that requires work process changes and integration across multiple organizations? And you know, as you go from a rifle shot up The price will have to get bigger and bigger because the hurdles will increase. You see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I see what you're saying, which makes me think of something else, which is, let's say you find a a startup that you think will help what ExxonMobil is doing and you bring them in. That's really not even the beginning yet, is it? Because now you have to see if you can test it against the different problems internally and see if it can scale and see if it makes financial sense. So really, when you bring somebody in, it must almost be like the beginning of the process.
1: Yeah. Our view is actually you know, we may have three or four or even more than that use cases within ExxonMobil. And then you say, which of these use cases are significant? Which of these use cases can be where the organization internally is also ready and able to implement it? And once the use case is there and it passes that test and we are ready to do either a proof of concept, you know, a POC or to scale it up directly, our view is if we are a good customer if we have a good use case money will flow into startup and they can make a business out of it okay so our view is getting money with a good use case and a good set of customers is not impossible it actually makes it easier if you have lined up a customer and a use case
0: that's interesting so to me, that sounds almost like part of your day-to-day sometimes must almost be like selling internally, right? You have to convince another opco or business unit to try this proof of concept?
1: Yes. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Which means you have to have a pretty good view of where the pain points in the company are, which ones of them are must-do versus nice-to-do, okay? Which ones are really important from a longer-term perspective, but those are strategic, areas which will require a lot more coordination with various parts of the company as well as the corporate office
0: so, so i know i know exxon well as well as you can know exxon but the cultures internally are sometimes radically different the culture of exxon Mobil pipeline is radically different than the culture of exxon mobile so that means that you have different hats you put on internally depending on which group you're talking to
1: absolutely absolutely
0: so it's never a dull moment you're day, uh, And it?
1: the cultures of the startup is very different. But we have practices in place that take the friction out of the system, you know? I don't want to overwhelm a startup with a 60-page agreement where they'll go bankrupt, okay? But I also have to protect ExxonMobil. So we have ways in which we can protect the risk on both sides, get to an answer in a timely manner, you know? It doesn't do any good for ExxonMobil or for the startup if getting an agreement takes six months. But, you know, we, we are we are in the last two, three years, we have really put practices in place where we have significantly improved the speed at which we work.
0: Well, I just know from experience that I really don't want to talk to your procurement team ever
1: <laughs> just because they're so good at it,
0: you know, and I'm, I'm making a little bit of a joke there. If it, yeah. So when you're looking at what you do day to day, you look at the startups, you look at the problems internally, you look at the different cultures, both internal, external, you look at the technology. How important are the people in all of this?
1: People are kind of the backbone behind this. So it, I, mean, I just want to maybe, I'll just step back and explain to you that the real key in innovation is really the lead user, not the technology, not the funder for technology, but the lead user. Who takes the risk in trying it out in their own problem set?
0: Yeah, that's always the hardest person to find. Always.
1: So it's the lead user. Who is that lead user who has that pain or sees the gain in their eyes and wants to go after it? And the second level of complexity is then is that because we are a large enterprise, we actually make money when the technology or practice is scaled around our enterprise globally it's not just stuck in one site so you need to have the vision to scale it up and the execution to scale it up across the enterprise so you know getting that lead user is the key item and then getting the organization behind this after poc to scale it up is where the magic happens you know but it's a multi-step process the first step is always engagement getting the use case making sure there is the technology is real and then ask asking ourselves you know if it's real do we care what does it do to you
0: okay so i mean this is fascinating and unfortunately we're getting close on time it's been all day talking about this cuz i'm learning which is great so can we kind of talk through just at a high level how you would actually go about scouting for a, a startup and then, what the process sort of look like as you make the des- go/no-go decisions and you bring them in. And then, what's the end goal? Is the end goal to have something that you flip? Is the end goal to have something you add to ExxonMobil's portfolio to give you a competitive advantage?
1: So we have fourteen areas of scouting, which are around basically, you know, our current bi- thirteen of them are, cu- are around our current business model. And those current business model, as I said, is finding oil and gas, producing it converting it to fuels or materials, you know, liquid, gas, or solid. And then we have pain points in them. Just to kind of give you an example, the five main focus areas are unconventional oil value chain, growing gas demand around the world, reliability of our assets, upstream, downstream chemicals, end-to-end capital projects, and then making up products and our operations with lower greenhouse gas emissions and our products more sustainable. Okay. Those are kind of the five main areas we have scouts around different geographies around the world. So we have a scout in China, India. We have some activities in Europe, San Francisco, Boston, of course, Houston, Austin is a big corridor together with our offices. And I am in New York City suburbs. So we have these geographies and then we have roughly 10 channels and 10 geographies out of which we get leads. And the networks are built to such a point where the leads come to us now. And once we have the lead, and a, then we work on the use case, the value to it, and see where exactly can we use, who is the lead user, and how can we build the momentum in our organization to try it or use it. Really, what we are, in most cases, what we are looking at is applying it in our assets and applying it in our work processes. And then in some of the emerging value chains, it's really about creating both a new business for us, as well as optionalities for going forward. And in that space, you can think about the emerging value chain as biofuels area, end of life plastics. You can think about carbon capture and sequestration business.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it all makes total sense. It's all wrapped around what you do as, as a company. And so once you've identified which one of your scouts have have identified a possible fit what happens next?
1: It gets used in our assets. Okay. You know? It gets used in a, we are many many times we want a thriving supplier system. We want a thriving ecosystem not just for us, you know, like an inspection and maintenance. It's really there for the whole industry, you know. Right. If you have a new product which is most of the time in fuel products, you have it needs to be fungible across many different users. But let's suppose we have a new chemical product or a new other product. you know in that kind of thing or a new way to make a f- fuel, you know we could look at kind of getting a competitive advantage either in how we use it or keeping it to ourselves for some years before it goes to the market. But those are all decisions that need to be made on what we bring to the table, what the other party brings to the table. You know, and how do we get faster to meet society's shareholders and customers' needs?
0: Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So in your experience, what you just described, what we just talked through, is basically a cycle with a begin point, a middle point, and an end point. Are you seeing the cycle time speed up, you know, for the last 20 years?
1: So cycle time is speeding up. The cycle is actually the, the name for this cycle. It's called want, find, get, manage. I love that. You start with a
0: want,
1: find, and then get, and manage. And many times we find that one cycle is not enough. In fact, in the open process automation, we have shown that we had to go through three cycles. We started with a want, and then we tried to find, we said, oh my God, our wants were too small. We have seen all of this innovation in avionics and telecommunication that we were not aware of. We can be bolder in our want. So we went back. And redefined our wants to be more bold and then went through a second cycle and we found more and went through a third cycle. So anyway, that's the cycle. Obviously, cycle times are accelerating in every business, including our business. Okay. And we have to. Digital is enabling it. Work practices are enabling it. Plus empowerment, at least in an organization like us, where we are pushing decisions as much as we can down is also helping, particularly in interactions with startups, you know, because this is not about acquiring a $300 million piece of device, okay? This is about quick testing and making sure that, you know, the killer variables or the really uncertain pieces of the opportunity are addressed.
0: I love how y'all are thinking about this. You know, I don't know your world, although I've touched it a couple of times. I actually did a panel before when life was normal last year, and I had the venture capital groups from Chevron Shell, National Allwell, Technique FMC, and we we basically had a whole panel discussion about if you are a startup, what do you actually need to do to grow your business? And it was really interesting. To your point, everybody thinks a startup is technology, but I had these experts on a panel and they're basically saying you need to know how to run a business. It's good that you understand your technology but you need to understand sales marketing legal you know all that sort of stuff and what must be cool is all that domain expertise you bring to these startups so when you find a startup it, it must accelerate their growth if their solution solves a problem
1: yes i would just say that usually we bring the use case and domain expertise to make sure that the use case is real and it you know. They're not blindsided by some other way to do the same thing that is much better. So the use case and domain is what we bring to the table. They absolutely need all the things to make their business successful. But remember, in this journey, it's not just Exxon and startup. The startups also have VCs and the VCs provide a kind of a business coach to the startup. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: yeah yeah I've started to get to know some of the venture capitals groups inside the oil and gas industry and it's it's really fascinating I, mean, I didn't even know it existed, and to know that not only does it exist but it's thriving and you know there's a lot of you know there's a lot of big chunks of capital floating around if you have the right idea and the right solution and it's just and I didn't even know it existed. I've been in this industry for twenty five years
1: so I don't buy the argument that there is not enough capital floating around. I feel what is really needed is not just ideas, but ideas that are de risk where you can line up customers, okay? Or line up companies who are interested in it, even if you don't produce it in two years, okay? So I feel that's what ExxonMobil brings to the table, a plethora of use cases with use cases around the world where we know where exactly it might go in first before it goes into second geography or third geography and so on.
0: Yeah, this has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, we're running <laughs> over time. I tell you what though, I do want to revisit with you later and maybe almost do a part two of this, but it's time to start winding down the show. And this is the part of the show where we typically do product reviews. Please, people, no big steel. I'm looking for gadgety stuff, cameras, microphones, lights, you know, something you can hold in your hand. You know the deal. If I think it's great, I'll say it's great. And if I think it's not so great, I'll say that as well. And then you've heard me talk about the Street Team before. It's our all-volunteer group. Just go to Facebook, sign up, search for OG and Street Team. You basically help us with our social media. And then when life gets back to normal, if we're in your geographic area, you can join us as part of our press team, which is really cool. And then once again, shout out to Nutanix for sponsoring the show. Nazir, you can actually register for this. I can't, but Nutanix has given our listeners a chance to win this JBL4 Flip for bluetooth speaker which is really awesome all you do is go to the landing page put your information in and we give away one a week and if you don't win you can enter the following week if you want to try to remember the link it's nutanix.com forward slash og tech podcast but it's easier to go to the show notes and speaking of the show notes nazir if people wanted to learn more about ExxonMobil, where should they go
1: they should go to www.exxonmobile.com
0: and if people want to learn more about you personally where should they go
1: i suggest they reach out to me on linkedin i'm on linkedin And I respond to all the queries.
0: Even all the financial experts that all of a sudden want to help you? Sure. (laughs) I'm joking because this COVID-19, all of a sudden, every day, I get a financial expert on LinkedIn. I get two or three every day. It's like, where were y'all before (laughs) COVID-19?
1: Oh, you mean that kind of financial (laughs) expert? Yeah, those guys. (laughs) Well, somehow, somehow they are good at finding out the age of people and when they may need financial expertise.
0: I know. And it's that's exactly, exactly to my point. It's like, how do you know that I have a little bit of money? Like, how do you know that? You didn't know that before COVID-19. <laughs> now you know that. But this has been great. And folks, we'll put links to Nazir's LinkedIn profile to com in the show notes. So just scroll up or left, depending if you're Android or iOS. Nazir, this has been a very, just a fascinating inside view into what you do. We just scratched the surface. I do want to get you back on the show and and, and continue this conversation, but I just really appreciate your time today, especially in this crazy 2020 world that we're working in right now.
1: Thank you for the time. And if you have any concepts, any ideas you want to pitch to ExxonMobil, please reach out to me on LinkedIn.
0: Oh, now it's going to (laughs) happen, but that's awesome. So folks, we're making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck.
2: Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark Lacour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the Oilcom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition or ATCE on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have maintaining critical infrastructure during lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have material reductions in downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have strategic opportunities to right-sizing G&A and achieving free cash flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGGN Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in.
0: Check us out next week for
2: another entertaining and yet useful
0: episode of Oil & Gas Temp Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.